Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. This is The Longest Shortest Time from WMYC. I'm Hillary Frank. We are back with the second episode of our Sex and Parenthood series. In our last episode, we got your questions answered by Dan Savage and Jane Marie. And on that show, Dan and Jane agreed that all parents who are not ready to have sex should get a pass for the first year. So even if your doctor or midwife gives you the green light at that standard six-week checkup, they're saying if you don't feel up for it, moms or dads, you get a pass. But what if a year comes and goes and you're still in pain from something that happened in childbirth? Then what? That is what we're going to talk about today. There are lots of ways you can get injured in childbirth. And and as I'm saying this, I realize it might sound super scary to anyone who hasn't had a baby. And yeah, it is scary. But the thing that I've come to learn is almost every childbirth injury can be healed. I'm going to say that again. Almost every childbirth injury can be healed. This is so important to know. I uh, myself had a really rough childbirth injury. It is the reason that I started this podcast in the first place. You know, I know what it is like to feel completely hopeless. I saw six doctors over three years before I found the help I needed. It should not have taken that long. The answer wound up being pretty simple. Today, we're going to hear one woman's story of dealing with a childbirth injury. And then we're going to hear from someone who heals those kinds of injuries. And um, just so you know, we are going to be going in depth on vaginal injuries, I think in, in a healing way, but I just wanted to say that up front. And we're going to be doing a cool event next week where you can learn more about your pelvic pain if you're having it. We're going to talk more about that at the very end of this episode. So stay with us. So for this episode, we asked you guys to send in your stories about childbirth injuries and how they were impacting your sex life. And we heard from so many of you. Today, we'll be telling one of those stories from a listener named Sadie. But I just need to emphasize here that Sadie's story, unfortunately, is not out of the ordinary. So many of you had a story very similar to hers. Sadie lives in North Carolina. She's got a son who's almost 10 months old. She describes herself as an all-natural type. You know, she drinks herbal teas. She tries to use essential oils instead of prescription medications whenever she can. And when it came to childbirth, she wanted to do it without drugs. 
I had this idea that birth was going to be that, you know, an initiation of sorts. By that, I mean kind of like a passing from one side of something into another. And that I just wanted to go through that experience for whatever it was. And I didn't want to like check out. Sadie took a hypnobirthing class. In those classes, they teach you all kinds of meditation and relaxation techniques to have what they call a peaceful birth. And it was relatively peaceful for a while. She breathed through her contractions, checked into her birthing center. And then when she was nine and a half centimeters dilated, just half a centimeter away from being able to push, her labor stalled. Nothing was happening. I was basically just like stuck in transition. Transition is what I like to think of as television's favorite stage of labor. Transition is a time when people are like punching the doctor in the teeth and screaming, you know, I can't do this. Or as my friend said, let me die, let me die. But the thing they tell you in all childbirth classes is don't worry. Transition sucks, but it's over quickly, often just 15 minutes, an hour tops. And I was just stuck there. And this was also in the wee hours of the night, you know, from like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m. You know, we started to hear the birds call outside the window. and My mom said something about it, and I just screamed at her, don't talk about that to me. What I was trying to say was the, the sound of the birds is so depressing because I know that it's another day and I'm still stuck here. Sometime in those wee hours, Sadie's midwife figured out that the baby was stuck because his head was turned to the side. It's called asynclitic. Plus, his hand was up by his face. Eventually, after many, many positions and many, many hours, I was on my back on the bed, like curled in a C-shape, like um, holding on to my, my toes. Uh, she wanted me to hold on to my, um, my calves, but I couldn't because my hands were too slippery with sweat. And so um, the midwife would like, she was coach doing the coach pushing with me. And um, which is like everything that, you know, the birthing class I took and everything is like, you know, your body will know, it will just release the baby. You don't even need to push or just feel the energy moving downward. And I don't know. I don't know what to say about that other than that. I was so exhausted that at that point, I really, I really, really literally needed people telling me to breathe. Like the nurse was telling me, inhale exhale while all of this was going on. So, uh, yeah, so the, the midwife, um, was coaching me on pushing the baby down and they started putting, um, hot compresses on my perineum and like rubbing oil on there and stuff. And the midwife was chanting, she was going to the sky, to the sky, to the sky, to the sky, meaning like push the baby out to the sky. And, the, the really the thing that got me to push was she looked so ecstatic. Like every push, I was looking at her face and she had this look of like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like this was the push that was making the difference. Then all of a sudden she said, okay, on the next breath, I just want you to blow like you're blowing out birthday candles. And I thought, oh my, that's like the thing they say when, when you're not supposed to push because the baby's coming out. I thought the baby's coming out. Like I just couldn't believe it. Um... And so I tried to do that, and then I had this feeling, I can only describe it like, you know in cartoons when um, like Bugs Bunny gets an anvil dropped on his toe and his eyes pop out of his head and they're like big dollar signs? <laughs> you know, like, woonga, 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 those eyes? Yeah. That's what I felt like. I felt like my eyes were just 
bugging out of my head and uh, with pain, this different pain. And I just, I think I said, oh my God. And then I said, when is the next effing contraction? Because it, uh, he paused like halfway out. And like in retrospect, I now know, oh, like my muscles were tearing and my skin was tearing open. That's why it felt like that. It still took one more push for Sadie to get her baby all the way out. God, I was so tired. They laid the baby on me. I, I literally couldn't even pick up my arms. Um, to, to uh, My arms were like spaghetti noodles. Like I would try to lift it from the shoulder and my arm was just like... <laughs> <laughs> um, and we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And so it was like five minutes probably before I had the strength to reach up to my own arms and pick him up and see what he was. And so while this was going on, um, the midwives and nurses were like looking at my vagina and I was, I was hardly paying attention to them at this point, but you know, they were conferring. And at some point the midwife said to me, you know, you've had a tear. She said, I'm not sure it might be a third degree tear and I can't repair. I'm not qualified to repair a third degree tear. So I'm just going to go run upstairs for a minute and see if, the director of the birth center is up there. And she did. And she came back down, not with the director, but with another um, experienced midwife. And the two of them sat down and sewed me up for about an hour and a half. Um, I could have cared less, honestly. Uh, my mom was feeding me Pringles. And yeah. <laughs> I just, you know... But I could hear them talking, you know, I heard, I heard them say at one point, oh, there's a little bit of muscle sticking out, you know. Sadie went home just six hours after giving birth. That's how they did it at her birth center. So she was still numb on the car ride home. She figured she'd be sore for a couple of days. But as she told me, she thought she'd take some lovely baths with Epsom salts and herbs. And that would be that. Well... I'd say the first two weeks after the birth were really hard, as in I couldn't sit. So I had to be either standing or lying. And really standing wasn't very pleasant either because it, it just the gravity, I don't know, the blood pulling. Really, I could only lie down. Um, I was taking um, like 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, you know, a few times a day, and it just was not enough. On day four, I had a breakdown. I was just crying. You know, I can't, I can't have another day like this. And part of the misery was that when I would move around, it felt like I could feel the skin pulling on the stitches and like the stitches tugging at the skin. And it was just such a gross, gross feeling. Like beyond the pain, just the, it just re repulsed me. And I, so I couldn't stand to move because every time I would move, I would have that feeling. For a while, the pain got worse. And then it got a little better, but not much. And then Sadie went for her six-week checkup. I did. And um, the midwife, she said, oh, it's healing much better than, than I'd hoped. Or it looks really good. She was very, very positive about it. And also, you know, at two days after the birth, a midwife came to our house to check me out. And she said the same thing, like, oh, gosh, it's healing so well. And while that's helpful in one way, I mean, it's good to know that it was healing. It's also like, this is good? <laughs> like, what is bad? Because I was still in a lot of pain at six weeks. So how did they leave things with you? 
Well, she actually, the midwife recommended that I go see a specialist. They have a, it's like a urogyno, urogynecologist. That's a urogynecologist, like urologist and gynecologist. They help with urinary incontinence and all kinds of pelvic floor dysfunction. So I did go see that person because I had some questions that the midwife wasn't able to answer. Um, like for one thing, I, okay, before I went to the six-week checkup, I decided to, I, that I needed to make one visit down there and see how things were going. And, you know, when I felt my vaginal opening, it just felt like it had a corner. It felt like a teardrop shape where the pointy part of the tear was pointing towards my perineum. And I didn't, I did not want there to be a corner. I could just imagine in my mind that there was like a line of stitches leading out of the top of that teardrop and that the stitches were like pulling it into this non-round shape. And that was so horrifying to me. Just the thought of like trying to have sex and like pulling on that scar tissue. Oh, it like freaked me out. Um, and then also I felt there was like an extra f- like little doohickey of skin, like a little flap of skin uh, like at the opening of my vagina that hadn't been there before. And it wasn't been big, but it was different. And and I, I remembered back to them saying like, oh, that little bit of muscle sticking out when they were sewing me up. And I was like, what if they left out another little bit of something and that's what that is sticking out. And so... So I did definitely want to go to the specialist and see what she had to say. And what did she say? She said that there was a good bit of scar tissue down there and that she might need to inject some steroid shots to break up the scar tissue. But that first I should try um, massaging the area with vitamin E oil twice a day for a month and see how it goes. And, and then come back to see her. And then she said, and I need you to try having sex before you come back so I'll know if it hurts. And when she said that, I just started crying because, I mean, I knew that totally made sense. How could she tell me I was better or not if I hadn't tried it out? But I I just didn't want to, and I was afraid, and I felt a lot of pressure from myself. I mean, my partner was actually being very understanding, but I felt I felt pressure to get it together and be available again. And um, it was okay. It was not as bad as I feared it could have been. Here's what was good. My vagina did not feel as different as I thought it might to me. He could not perceive any difference. Um, And there was some value just to, like, getting over the hump. But what was really hard was it did hurt some, um, and also just this, like, kind of gross imagination of just me imagining, like, the scar tissue and the pulling and just me kind of being very anxious about everything. That was hard. Um, but I also felt really guilty because of the friends that I had talked to, the person who had waited the longest had, she said that she had tried at 11 weeks and it was painful, And they waited until 13 weeks, and then it was fine. And this was at, like, almost 16 weeks. And so I'm like, well, I've waited longer than anybody else I know. Like, what's wrong with me? Like, I felt like I was, like, inventing excuses or something or being a baby or something. No offense to babies. (laughs) (laughs) But 
also, I do think that there's a layer of trauma there, especially with such a hard birth and then sustaining like a physical injury. I do think in some ways that it was a trauma and that the emotional trauma is, is linked to the physical damage. And one evidence I have of that is just that for the first mm, five months, um, even just casually mentioning someone like, oh, I had a tear that would make me start bawling. Um, do, do you think vaginal trauma is different from trauma to other parts of the body? In some ways it has to be because there's so much um, emotional baggage attached to the vagina already. Like we can't have an uncomplicated relationship with it because our culture doesn't have an uncomplicated relationship with it. You know, there's already a lot of pressure in our vaginas to to be available and to be accommodating and to be healthy and to be sexy um it's, there's no way it can be an unloaded body part I mean I think a lot of the pressure that I was feeling about our sexual relationship and resuming our sexual relationship came with the history of the past 10 years of our relationship um me it just seemed like I always it's always me and my vagina that are having problems like I had yeast infections for a long time you know, months, I had one that lasted for like months and we couldn't have sex. And I just felt so, it, it created so much tension and I felt so bad about it and I couldn't fix it, you know. And uh, bladder infections, I had so many bladder infections. I had a, um IUD and, you know, just terrible, painful periods with that. Like all these just obstacles to our sex life. And then I got pregnant with the IUD um, against all odds. And so then I had an abortion and then I really didn't feel like having sex and so, you know, none of these things are my fault, but there are all these obstacles t- to our sex life that all came back to what felt like my vagina malfunctioning. Um, and so how's your sex life now? Um, it, well, a lot of those challenges remain. I, I feel the, the level of pain is much better than it was even a couple months ago, but I'm not without pain. You know, I think it's maybe a, two on a scale of one to ten but then again who wants a two you know you know my partner is he he really wants to make it good for me and he's constantly asking you know what can I do and what what would feel good for you and a lot of the time I just don't know what to tell him so it feels like the choice is uh, like just tough it out at level two or, like, say stop and, like, we can't have sex until until I know what to do. I don't even know how to find out what to do. And I totally feel resentful of him, <laughs> which is, I'm aware that doesn't make sense. He is completely open to doing anything that I would suggest. And yet, I guess I feel frustrated that that I'm in this position where I guess sex is just, it just seems like sex has always been so straightforward for him. Like he's never had any penis disasters. So how are you feeling about the future of your sex life? You know, not all that optimistic. Despite both of our best wishes for it, I just, we're actually, we go see a counselor a couple times a month to talk about this just to give us an hour 
of uninterrupted time to talk about it. And that's been helpful just just to talk, to not feel like it's just unaddressed obstacle. But I can't say we've really found a solution or that I even know what solution we could find. The first kinds of solutions doctors tend to recommend for vaginal scars are topical treatments, you know, estrogen cream. And if that doesn't work, then testosterone cream, which are hormones. So while they can help, they also have side effects. A doctor might also prescribe a numbing cream like lidocaine, which is really only a temporary fix. Or they might suggest steroid shots. They might also recommend surgery, which might help, but might also cause more scar tissue. Often, doctors will tell moms that having another baby is their best solution because then the scar tissue will split open and they can stitch you back up better the next time, which what a crazy thing to hope for, you know, that you split apart. And then uh, how do you even know if you want to try to have another baby in the first place if it hurts to have sex? Anyway, Sadie had heard about most of these solutions. And to her, it felt kind of preferable to just tough it out at level two painful sex. But here's the thing. Sadie does have options. And after our break, we're going to talk about one of them. Don't go away. We're getting ready for our next show on sex and parenthood, and we need your help. We need you to tell us how you used to think babies were made or how your child currently thinks babies are made or how they used to think babies are made. Any of those things will go. We also, of course, realize that babies are not always made by sex. So we want all possible answers to this question. So if you want to answer the question, here's what you do. Go get your phone record yourself saying your first name, where you're calling from, and then tell us your story. Then just email the files to us at hello at longestshortesttime.com. We can't wait to put together our favorites for our next show. Thanks. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. We're back. So like I said at the top of the show, I saw six doctors before I found the one that recommended the thing that finally helped me, and that was pelvic floor physical therapy. It helped immediately. Um, I started feeling the effects after just one visit. Over the next few months, I kept going back and going back, and each time I got a little better. I also saw a doctor who gave me a steroid shot for some nerve damage that I had, and now I'm pain-free. 
there are lots of different kinds of specialists who help women with pelvic pain, both you know physically and mentally. Um, but since physical therapy worked so well for me, and it's something I think a lot of people have never heard of, I wanted to talk about it on the show. So for those of you who haven't heard of it, pelvic floor PT is just what it sounds like. It's physical therapy for your pelvis. The therapist works on your muscles, your skeleton, your scar tissue externally and internally. The internal part is kind of like a more involved gynecological exam. Anyway, the the therapist works on your entire body because pelvic pain is actually never just about what's going on in your pelvis. And just like a sports physical therapist can get a basketball player back on the court, a pelvic floor physical therapist can get a mom back in the sack. And so for our sex series, I thought it would be a good idea to talk to one of the field's pioneers. My name is Dr. Hollis Herman, and I'm a physical therapist in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Hollis, she goes by Holly, runs the Herman Wallace Pelvic Rehabilitation Institute, along with her colleague, Kathy Wallace. It's the go-to place in this country to learn how to treat pelvic floor dysfunction with physical therapy. Um, The school's been around for 10 years, but Holly's been practicing pelvic floor PT since the 70s. She started out as a physical therapist at a hospital, seeing elderly patients and kids. And the kids always came in with their moms, lots of them new moms. So I would say to the mothers, how are you? And every one of them burst out crying and said that they were leaking urine, that they were having bowel problems. My belly is still very weak. Did they, did they talk to you about um, sexual issues as well? Yes, they did. And nobody, they didn't know who to go to or, or what to go to. And so I had an aha moment and thought, this is the population that I want to work with. Lucky for Holly, she met a woman named Elizabeth Noble. Elizabeth Noble was an Australian physical therapist who specialized in women's health. She brought her practice to Massachusetts and even got a special women's health section added to the American Physical Therapy Association. Back then, it was not a special field of study here in the States. So Holly started studying with Elizabeth and and Elizabeth's partner, Linda Gallagher. Soon, Holly became known around the hospital where she worked as someone who could work magic with postpartum women. So like a nurse from obstetrics would come find her and say, I can't get a speculum into this patient. Holly would go in, she'd manipulate the woman's muscles, her bones, she'd work on the scar tissue, and she'd get the speculum in with no pain. And the nurses would be stunned. You know, They were used to seeing new moms just suffering through the pain. Giving birth is truly an Olympic event. So the uterus is a pelvic organ. And as it's filling up with baby, it becomes an abdominal organ. That literally changes your entire posture, changes where your rib cage goes. So your rib cage goes up to your earlobes. That can change the amount of range of motion that you have in your shoulders, changes your breathing, changes your circulatory system, your heart moves over, your lungs are not able to expand quite as far. Um, You have changes in your posture from your breasts getting larger, your upper back becomes bent over, your lower back back bends in because your belly is uh, pulling your pelvis forward, your balance is shifting, you're now weight-bearing on the front of your foot instead of more towards the back of your foot. And so we see changes that are just extraordinary and are entirely through the whole body. 
And um, I find that most postpartum women are very dry in terms of their vagina. They have atrophy in their vagina and vaginal tissues. They may have had an episiotomy or a tear. And so how they were stitched back together may be completely different from how they were before. So they may not fit with their partner. Um, and as a matter of fact, I <laughs> this sounds like a joke, but I really do tell people that are pregnant to take a selfie of their genitals and bring in a dilator the size of their partner if they're in a heterosexual relationship or their favorite toy that they want to have uh, afterwards or if they're in a lesbian uh, relationship and um, figure out, uh, show that to the attendings um, and say, this is what I need to be when afterwards. This is what my wait, genitals wait. are. You literally tell people to, to do this. I do. I do. And and do they do it? I don't know. <laughs> Wait, and, and is that something you can fix through physical therapy to make them fit better? Yes, absolutely. As How? I, because your your body is just like it, it's shaped a certain way now, right? It was stitched back a certain way. How do you fix that other than with surgery? Well, tissues are very mobile. So if you can show people how to do some self-massage, some perineal massage, that means around the opening of the vagina, do some stretching, do some gentle scar work, um, and free up the tissues so that they don't heal in a a uh, cross-restricted and adhesed manner, but rather are going to be more flexible, then I I can change people's um, amount of... um, or degree and even size of the opening of the vagina through manual therapy. How how else are you able to um, help people? Um, I also talk to them about lubrications. There are numerous different kinds of lubrications, and oftentimes people are using ones that are actually causing them to feel that they have um, burning or prickling because their skin is so sensitive. I also have people squirt lubricant in. So if you just put something on a penis or you put something on uh, a toy that is going to go into the vagina it actually gets wiped off right at the labia or even before it enters into the vagina. So then what's inside the vagina is now feeling quite frictiony. So if we can squirt some lubricant inside, it can um, help to make it so that it's much better transition for um, entry and penetration into the vagina. Also helping people with urinary incontinence. The statistics are staggering about uh, lack of sexual satisfaction in women who have urinary incontinence, women who have their organs that have descended from um, pushing, from um, giving birth. And so if we can help those women take care of their urinary incontinence, help them to know how to um, have their organs come back inside their body, they actually have better sexual satisfaction. If we can strengthen up the muscles, women have better orgasms and they have more multiple orgasms. Hmm. I understand that um, even women who have C-sections can experience um, vaginal pain during sex. Yes, because the belly is eight layers thick. 
And a couple of those layers actually go and cover over the pelvic floor muscles. They go all the way up to the throat and even go to the top of the head. So if you have a scar with a C-section, you've gone through all of those eight layers. You also have uh, cut through the uterus. They take the uterus out of the body. They sew it back up. They put it back in. So now you've had a lot of stretching. You have had a lot of changes in the ligaments and some of the connective tissues, and then you have a scar that is eight layers deep. And how they sewed it up, sometimes they do layer by layer, but sometimes they just sew up the a couple of the layers and then just put steri-strips on it for healing so that some women have scars that are very adhesed, very restricted, and that can make it so that the blood flow to the genitals can change. It can make it so that the movement of the uterus is no longer as flexible, can make it so that the vagina is not as flexible and movement, the urethra is not moving quite as much, and you need all of that flexibility when you're going to be having sex. I want to talk about um, women uh, going into childbirth with, with prior pelvic traumas, um, you know, possible sexual assault, abortions, miscarriage, you know, other um, physical traumas. Um, what kind of impact do you see those kinds of prior traumas having on, on recovering from a childbirth injury? That's an excellent question. Most people don't realize that by the time a woman is eight weeks pregnant, she is 50 to 70% physiologically ready to have her baby. Wait, what do you? What does that even mean? That means that you, her, um, she has had changes in her circulatory system. She now has more fluid in her body. Her heart has literally changed in terms of the amount of strength that it pumps. Um, her pelvis has softened and the ligaments have changed. Um, her uterus and fallopian tubes have expanded and hormonally enormous things have taken place with um, estrogen and progesterone. So we see that by, by eight weeks pregnant, a woman is 50 to 70% physiologically changed in her body um, to be ready to have a baby. So if they have a miscarriage, it takes time for the body to heal. And in most cases, people don't understand that it's going to take time for their body to get back to where it was. If they had an abortion, that means that their body went through enormous changes. If they had um, sexual abuse or verbal abuse, um, that can bring up flashbacks. So there's a wonderful, wonderful resource by a physical therapist named Penny Simkin, and it's called When Survivors Give Birth. And she um, wrote it for sexual survivors who are now going to be doing parenting. Why do you feel it's so important to help women heal sexually? Sex is um, a vital part of life. It is... Because some, some people would say it's extra. Yeah. It's really a vital part of life. It is vital to self-esteem, um, how you're connected with 
the world and with yourself and with others throughout your life. Holly says pelvic floor physical therapy is covered by most insurance plans. Yes, um, but you, it needs to be pretty much talked about in terms of um, function. So a lot of the insurance companies do see it as still in a woman's head. Uh, she's frigid, that she's just not open to having sex. And so they may have questions about it. So oftentimes what we really document is how we can work with the vagina, work with the vaginal muscles, the pelvic floor muscles in terms of having a pain-free gynecological exam, having pain-free tampon insertion, having pain-free penetration into the vagina, um, having normal defecation and um, functional activities such as walking, um, exercise, carrying, lifting. Uh, so we can talk about it as a muscle dysfunction, muscle weakness, muscle pain, and then the un, uh, the insurance companies understand it a lot better in terms of why we are working with these patients. So why do you think that um, pelvic floor physical therapy isn't mainstream in, in Western medicine, and, and it, are there places where it is? Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm certainly trying. I was very lucky to be invited to the North American uh, Menopause Society. So I sp stood up in front of 1,200 urogynecologists, gynecologists, nurse midwives, midwives, and talked about this. And so it was really pretty funny because for the next three days on the dance floor in the women's bathroom, I had doctors coming up to me saying that they had uh, sexual problems um, <sighs> and problems that they didn't know who to talk to about them. Um, That's so funny. Were they like taking you aside and confiding yes, in you? Yes, on the dance floor on the dance floor at the opening reception. So it, there are many countries that do much better postpartum um, care of women. In France, in the UK, in Australia, there are programs where a physical therapist will come to your home, where you are actually shown how to do exercises, where you are given dilators so that you can uh, have penetration into the vagina without any pain. Clearly, we need to be talking about this stuff more. Holly has some suggestions. Now, what holiday is coming up where you could really talk to your family all about bowel, bladder, and sexual function? Go to a restaurant and talk loudly about bowel, bladder, and sexual function. Talk anywhere on the subway about bowel, bladder, and sexual function. And if that's not really your style, we've got just the thing. Go to LongestShortestTime.com to this episode, episode 49, and think of the comments there as your place to spill your guts about bowel, bladder, and sexual function. You know, most of us are not comfortable talking about our pelvises, and, and even people who are, like Sadie from the first half of this show, are having trouble getting the help they need. You know, that interview I recorded with Sadie is from two months ago, and I checked in with her this week to see how she was doing, and she told me, 
she has not gone back to that urogynecologist. And even though I got her on a conference call with a pelvic floor physical therapist and she seemed interested in trying it, she hasn't tried that either. She says she's just so afraid that what she's going to hear is, sorry, honey, you're broken. This is as good as it gets. And if Sadie feels that way, Sadie, who, who is so comfortable talking about these things, I know lots more of you must be feeling that way too. So join us. Come to the website. Tell us what you've tried, what you haven't, why you haven't. Tell us your thought process on your pain and, and what it means in your life as a partner, as a parent, and as someone who has to go to work in the grocery store every day and, and pretend that you're not in pain. Tell us everything. Holly Herman is just one of hundreds of pelvic floor physical therapists all over the world. Go to our website, longestshortesttime.com, to find one near you. And for those of you who are in pain right now, we're going to be doing something special with my pelvic floor physical therapist. Her name is Deborah Goldman, and together we're going to be hosting a Google Hangout, fielding your questions about pain from childbirth. Deborah is going to be showing us how all of the muscles and bones connect, um, and she'll be explaining why you feel the weird pain that you feel, and how it can be fixed. So send us your question telling us specifically what happened to you and what you're feeling in a comment on this episode. Again, that's episode 49. You can do that anonymously. Our Google Hangout will be airing live on Tuesday, February 10th at 2 p.m. Eastern. You'll be able to stream it at our website. And if you can't make it then, it'll be archived there too. This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. Our show is produced by me, Hillary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff. Bill Moss mixed the show. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Chris Bannon, Peter Clowney, Deborah Goldman, and Jackson Brader. Subscribe to our show in iTunes, even if that's not how you listen. And while you're there, please write us a review. These things help more people find our show, which help our numbers to grow, which help us to get more resources for our show. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at three o'clock in the morning when our sex series continues. I know you want to hear that early, right? And you can by subscribing to our newsletter at our website. Just enter your email into the little box there and I'll send you a secret link six hours earlier than the show gets posted. And as always, if you have a story that you'd like me to consider for this podcast, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com.